Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Executive produced by news legend Dan Rather, Fail State investigates the dark side of American higher education, chronicling decades of policy decisions in Washington, D.C. that have given rise to a powerful and highly predatory for-profit college industry. With echoes of the subprime mortgage crisis, the film lays bare the for-profit colleges, how they exploit millions of low-income and minority students, leaving them with worthless degrees, drowning in student loan debt. We're joined today by the director of Fail State, Alexander Chabonneau. Alexander Chabonneau, welcome to Film School. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. This is a film long overdue, a subject that does not get nearly the level of attention that it dearly deserves because we are hollowing out our educational system right in front of our own eyes and this film shines the bright light of truth and honesty on what is happening. I'm so glad to be able to talk to you. This is a subject that has been near and dear to my heart for a long time, and to see it so well told and so and laid out in such a wonderful way for people that can easily understand what's going on. How did you come to this project? How did you decide you wanted to do a documentary about what's happened to our educational system, our higher-level education system? Uh- so I decided primarily because it, it, originally the film started as a student loan debt documentary. Like, so, you know, at the time, uh, this was back in 2013, I was a recent college graduate. Um, my producer was also a recent college graduate. And there was all this, like, news in, in the news cycle about, like, interest rates rising um, at the time. You know, it's cra- crazy to think just, just, you know, less than six years ago the student loan debt figure was just about to take over a trillion dollars. Now it's $1.5 trillion. Um, but, it, you know, the news was all, you know, in a frenzy about this $1 trillion student loan debt figure. And so my producer, Julia Glossy, and I, we pitched it to ourselves to say, hey, you know, who makes it, Who better to make a film on student loan debt than people who are just in it, who have it, um, who are very close to the subject. It's like, this is like, our generation's like key storyline. It's something personal to us. And so we started making a film on student loan debt, how you can't file for bankruptcy. The, the ever so increasing student loan debt figure, the national student loan debt figure. Uh, and we started filming, a, uh, we started production on this, this big expose on student loan debt itself. Uh, and we taped 15 interviews um, in the beginning of uh, 2014 when in June 2014, uh, this for-profit college company, Corinthian Colleges, had federal student aid put on hold by the federal government for three weeks, and the company had be, was so insolvent that the, the, the this like you know profit traded on Wall Street company uh, could not withstand could not stand on its own for, uh, without federal funds for three weeks, wow. and that be, effectively began began its collapse. And like the biggest equivalent I have in like for that story was something like Lehman Brothers, when Lehman Brothers collapsed during the subprime mortgage crisis. Um, and so I, I guess, like, to tell the truth, up until June 2014, um, I'd known about the for-profit college industry, you know, in, in researching student loan debt for that student loan debt documentary that I was making. 
you know, you'd come across the data. You, you'd find, you know, these horror stories. Um, and, and I'd read it, and I'd be like, man, this is really bad, but I need to, you know, stay focused and make a film on student loan debt. But when Corinthian happened, that was like a triggering moment for me, where it was like, you know, this was like a big deal. Like, the Corinthian colleges, that the company itself had over 100,000 students. I mean, that's bigger than ASU. I mean, this is like a big institution right. crumbling right before our very eyes. And so when Corinthian began it, it, its uh, march to bankruptcy, uh, we start, we start, I started looking into the story. Um, I started digging up everything that I could on the for-profit college industry, books, articles, was looking at Wall Street transcripts. And it was clear very quickly just how bad this whole story was. I mean, it, it was just like the, the, the level of harm that was being done to students. Um, it, it was like someone, like you, you mentioned shining a bright light. It was like, um, you know, the, the cave it opened up and, and sunlight rushed in and like this whole dark underbelly of higher education uh, showed itself to me. And it was one key moment in particular that really just like inf- made me so mad. It made me almost effectively become a crusader in, the, in this space. Uh, was this this website that was being run by a lead generation service, like a, a company that finds sales leads for these companies. The website was called GIbill.com. Um, it was a website that was effectively, it looked, it was masquerading as a government website. It looked like the military, the Department of Defense was running the site and military veterans and, and service members are going to the site the GI Bill.com, entering their information, and it looked like you'd only use your GI Bill benefits at for-profit colleges. Yeah. Um, and it, it, they were just funneling hundreds of veterans into these very highly predatory institutions. Um, and, and at that point, when, when I saw that, I was like, okay, this is, this is the, the heart of the film. This is the story that needs to be exposed. Yeah. In the film, we, you run down sort of the history of higher education in this country. You talk about the university system and then the community college system and how they worked, how they worked well for many years. Talk to us a little bit about what this actually is, a for-profit college, and how it sort of found its way into what it, what it was initially as sort of a technical sort of supplement to, to uh, college or explain it however you choose to, but tell us how it kind of got underway. So for-profit colleges are like what their name implies. They're profit-making companies that provide post-secondary education um, and like workforce training programs. Um, They've been around for a long time. I mean, they they date back to the 1800s. Um, I'm sure they, you can track them and find them way back before then too. Um, they're, they're, they're what we call trade schools. Um, so if you're, you know, an older American, you probably have heard of them. Um, they largely were, you know, schools that were like catering. They were like truck driving schools, beautician schools, um, you know, AC technician schools, like kind of, uh, you know, mechanic schools. Um, and so for-profit education is largely, re- they, they remain very small. Um, they, they were in these auto strip malls. Um, they, they would probably be, you know, at, at most as big as like a hundred students at any given time. Um, and so what we, what happened with for-profit colleges though, was in the 
1980s, trade schools were, or in 1972, the federal government made these trade schools eligible to take out federal student aid. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Pell Grants um, and, and student loans. And so what happened was as, as the 70s unfolded and we went into the 80s, these trade schools got into a lot of waste, fraud, and abuse. Um, they were just racking up student loan debt on their students. Um, there was, you know, fly-by-night trade schools that were just taking in students, um, just cashing their checks and then closing overnight. Um, and it, it got so bad in the late 80s that the Reagan administration got incredibly angry at it. And um, I remember, you know, or I, I don't remember, I, I found the research of it. It's like um, at the time, Secretary of Education Bill Bennett, you know, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times talking about how these trade schools are, you know, greedy colleges, and, like, they're they're basically just feeding off the federal financial aid system. At the time, it was, like, traditionally, like, conservatives who were, like, really angry about what these trade schools were doing and all this this abuse that was unfolding. And so by 1992, George H.W. Bush, you know, signed into law the Higher Education Act, a reauthorization that, let, that put in regulations that basically clamped down on these trade school abuses, like, uh, wonky rules, but like wait, like rules against like paying your recruiters like a bonus for enrolling students, which basically clamped down on like you know heavily aggressive uh, recruiting practices. Right. And then there was like you know where how many students they can have online or or via correspondence courses, like you know course by mail, um, like regulations on just how much revenue they were allowed to derive from the federal government right. versus just private money. Um, so these rules were put in place, and for a while, the industry remained dormant. Um, but then, you know, as the story unfolds and what the film d- depicts, it's the you know these for-profit lobbyists started like just basically chipping away at these regulations. And when George W. Bush came into office um, in, in 2000, uh, 2001, um, it just was like, let's open up the floodgate, yeah. and it, it became the wild west of higher education. It was. The, the Wolf of Wall Street applied at, to our colleges. Um, and so these for-profit college institutions, um, they just became massive conglomerates. I mean, the University of Phoenix um, at its peak had over half a million students. Like there was just yeah. all these companies had over 100,000 students each. Online education was was booming onto the, the market. Um, and these, these for-profit college institutions basically used these tools um, to prey on students, some of the most disadvantaged Americans out there, low-income minority, um, a lot of service members and veterans. Um, so, I mean, like, to answer your, like, the basic question of for, what for-profit colleges are, are these, like, proprietary institutions. Um, they were at the, like, to give credit what credit is due, they were at the forefront of, you know, a, catering to non-traditional students, ex- you know, bringing on online education as, as a vehicle to, to teach students. Um, the problem, though, is all the promises that they were making, like, you know, a quick, fast way to a, a high-paying career, a great education, an affordable education, all of that was just a lie. It was, right. it was a big scheme. Um, and when the students realized what was going on, it was too late. Yeah. And I want to say that I, I, there may be some examples of, of these for-profit colleges that actually delivered on the promises of at least providing some kind of a some kind of level of education from which they the students could move forward in their lives i'm and i'm not i'm not i'm not going to say every single for-profit 
But the vast majority of these institutions have provided ed- educational whatever they call their educational curriculum to people who when they go into the world to get the jobs that they are taking these classes for are almost always told that these diplomas, the, the their, their educational um, experiences are not going to translate into a job. Am I overstating that? Is that about right? Amend that statement if you if you want to. No, my my just what I've uncovered in my re- like just I I like to I don't consider myself like a data wonk or anything like that. Um, I I actually like just really passionate about like higher like higher education history. I, like more of a history buff than than I am like this like business minded mm-hmm. uh, you know Wall Street can can look at like the these these 10Ks and things like that. But um, at, for a long time, these for-profit college executives and these lobbyists, um, you know, the, the, the people who go up on, you know, Bloomberg business and they talk about how, you know, we're largely a good industry and there's just a few bad apples. Um, historically, everything I've, I've uncovered in this, in this story, it's, it's not just a few bad apples. Like it's the whole orchard is bad, and maybe there was a good. There's a good few apples. Um, the problem, though, that we saw in the 2000s, it was just like in my, in in like perfect case study form. If there was a good for-profit college company um, or a small regional-based for-profit college, a private equity firm or a Wall Street firm found these institutions. Um, they bought it out for for a large sum. They bought, they kicked the owners out, and they massively expanded the recruiting floors of these institutions. They churned and burned through students for their federal financial aid. And when the you know the, the circus stopped and the curtain the curtain revealed itself to be this, yeah. this big fraud, yeah. um, the, the school either closed down shop or they rebranded themselves and they they repeated the fraud all over again. I want to remind our listeners, we are talking with the director of a new documentary called Fail State. It's a documentary about the for-profit colleges, and that uh, and the director is Alexander Chabonneau, and he's been kind enough to join us today for this, what I believe to be an extremely important subject and a, and a discussion that needs to be had beyond our radio interview into the realm of real, honest confrontation on the part of our elected officials in reining in and get doing away with this predatory per, pernicious institutions that are really undermining our the legitimate educational institutions in our in our country um, and there are real consequences here one of the things that has happened because of this for-profit explosion and then burning through students and saddling them with debt is that the last statistic I heard in it, it's in the film, Fail State, that that debt for those students, and it's also a other student debt, but in, this is a big part of it, is now exceeding consumer debt in this country. And that's over a trillion dollars. And a lot of people who are smarter about econ- economics than I am are saying that this, it could be the next 2008. If we don't do something about this and we don't do something about this quickly, in fact, it almost became part of the narrative in 2008. Did it not, Alexander? It did. I, I think the student loan debt issue is like a lot of the stuff in higher education. I mean, you mentioned it at the very beginning, like 
about how this is an, uh, a topic that doesn't nearly get enough attention. And, and I've been running up against that quite a bit. It's, I think just the, the conversation around student loan debt is a great recession um, topic that just came out. I mean, in the 90s, it was a very li- little discussed issue. I mean, it, it was mostly the people who were talking about it had it um, or they had a family member who had it. Um, but policymakers, you know, it was K-12. And in even in the George W. Bush administration, it was K-12. Um, but when we, we got to the Great Recession and, and people's livelihoods were at stake and people were losing their jobs and, and everyone was, was, was funneling back into higher education because they wanted to get better skills and they realized just how expensive everything was. And then, you know, couple that with, you know, a large population of millennials who were going through college, um, who were having to take out a lot of student loan debt because their parents had lost their jobs, um, or coupled with the, the millennials who were just enrolling in higher education, they, they, they ran into a system that was, you know, over 1,300% more. Uh, it cost more than it did in, in the late 70s. And so it, it, what I think, I, I, I hesitate to compare it to the subprime mortgage bubble that burst, like student loan debt is a different type of debt. It, yeah. It's more like it dampens people. Like it keeps them down. Yeah. And it's not going to be like one day we're going to wake up and it's, you know, all these companies are filed for bankruptcy and the stock market is collapsing. It's going to be like a slow burn. It's going to be like in 30 years time, we're all going to wake up from this dream. And it's going to be like, what happened? Like, why are we, why are we dealing with this? Right. Um, and we're, you know, there's, there's a lot of anecdotal data out there about how people are avoiding marriage, they're avoiding having children, uh, they're, they're, they're prolonging when to have children, um, when to buy houses. All that stuff, I think, is going to start sh- revealing itself um, over a longer timeline here. Right. And it, it, it's, it's something that I think America is not ready to deal with. I mean, like, already we're, we're witnessing our, like, economic advantage, um, that, that American workforce superiority diminished. Like other countries are now are surpassing us in terms of like producing more educated workers. Right. Um, and I, I think just the long-term ramifications of that is really scary. And it, it's something that I can't even really depict because we haven't gone through it. Right. And, and, and I guess student debt in general is what, you know, obviously the for-profit debt is, is huge and it's a huge part of this discussion. But the student debt in general is what you're is what we're talking about. And you're right. Not everyone who owes money uh, on uh, from educational loans is suddenly going to wake up one morning and say, I default. Therefore, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this will have a, a, a direct economic impact on the on the economy, on the stock market and all the rest of it. That's not going to happen. But just to what you're describing, it is in addition to that, people are taking jobs that are not in the fields of which they took their education for. They're ta- they're opting for jobs that are just to make sure that they can get enough food on their table to stay in a in in housing to provide for their children. So that's another impact. And we we see that perfectly in ca- in, in case in point in uh, rural doctors, like like in terms of like access to quality healthcare or just access to healthcare in general in rural areas in America is incredibly poor. I mean, it's just, you, you have, you know, people who live out, um, you know, in, in Mississippi, Boot Heel, Mississippi, having to drive a few hours just to go get their doctor's checkup. 
Yeah. Um, or in Boot Heel, Mississippi, another good example of this is, you know, there's just one doctor there in that, that whole area for, you know, over like 30,000 residents. I think maybe even more. And most doctors now are not choosing to go to these parts of the country because it's they have so much debt that they're taking out. Um, it, they're they're weighing what their options are. There is like a loan forgiveness thing where like if you go out to some of these areas and you, you work in these areas, like I think from either five or ten years, you can have your loan debt forgiven. But even in just five years, uh, these doctors are with, are deciding, hey, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to have to suffer for five years. So I'm just going to go, you know, open up a practice in, in a city area and, and have my practice make me money so that I can pay off my student, my $250,000 in student loan debt. And so it's like that, I think it's playing out in smaller areas where it's like our best and brightest aren't going and becoming entrepreneurs. They're not starting the business idea that they've had that they got during college. I mean, they're, they're ending up, they're going to Wall Street. They're going to Silicon Valley to, you know, get a traditional... Um, career there. And there's nothing wrong with that, um, you know, to, to want to have like a st- stable life. It's just what I, what I'm worrying is that like, there's a lot of Einsteins out there who, who are just limited by like the opportunity to, to explore these ideas. Um, and a lot of that's because they just have student loan debt to pay for. Right. Um, they, they, they have to live. I mean, it's not, it's not just higher education that costs so much more. It's housing. Right. It's food. It's, it's all of these things are, are just piling up on top of each other. And I think, you know, we're speaking to a society that's, that's kind of breaking apart between the haves and the have-nots. Right. And in addition to that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe that student debt, and we've sort of meshed, we sort of, I have, mashed up the, what what I would call the, the state state institutions, higher um, educational institutions with these for-profits but in terms of discussing student debt i believe you cannot retire that debt without i mean it's pretty difficult to do so uh you can't default it carries over am i wrong about that this is something that the sort of the debt will follow you um forever yeah so student loan debt you can't file for bankruptcy there you go That's um, or, or you, so you can but in very rare instances right. like you have to basically prove that you're incapacitated Right, um, right. or that like, uh, you're, you're so disabled that, um, you just, it, it, it's going to be, a, you have to, put, I think the, the actual legal language is like something like, uh, extreme financial burden. Um, and uh, for, historically, I mean, it, it was, it's so rare to see bankruptcy judges approving stuff like that. Um, I think it started to improve recently. There was something in the wall street journal and New York times recently talking about how these bankruptcy judges are like reconsidering it. Right. But I mean, like, Maybe it's like great, like five, uh, five to fifty more people are able to, to file for bankruptcy now than as opposed to just a few years ago. Well, it, well, we're it, talking. There's millions of borrowers out there. It's safe to say it's higher than uh, than consumer debt normally would be able to yeah. be retired. Uh, and also, and let's go back to let's focus, refocus our attention on the on the for profits because fail state is that's what it's about. But also, it it makes the point crystal clear that these institutions prey on people who are disadvantaged, who are who do not have resources, who are desperate to try to find a way to make any kind of money, and they prey on this anxiety. In fact, they have, in the film, we see how they walk potential uh, students, quote-unquote students, to their for-profit uh, colleges through this sort of 
gauntlet of question, questioning in which they can then sort of use that to manipulate these people into signing up for these things that are, at the end of the day, they're not worth anything. That's And on top of everything else, they're overly expensive. The institutional resources are, are inadequate. The teachers are barely there. Some of them never see a classroom. All the rest of it, it's horrible just on the face of that. But then at the end of the day, they get to these places where they want to apply for a, a job as a as a uh, policeman or a dental or dental assistant or medical assistant or whatever it is, and they're told that this doesn't mean anything. You 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 do not have the educational um, experience to 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 take this job. So on top of everything and, and else, that's I think why the story is just so disheartening and, and, and tragic in, in a lot of ways, where it's like. The, the people that are going to these institutions are not looking for a handout. They're motivated to go get an education to better themselves, to better their lives, to right. better the, op- the opportunities for their children. And higher education is one of the, the, the last great equalizers that we have. The, the, you know, it, it, it can transform a family. Um, it can take them from a low-income background to a middle class um, and over a generation. Um, and to see what's happening in the for-profit college space, where it's like, you know, some, the students that we interview and we, we follow their stories in the film, it's like they, you know, they didn't shoot for the moon. They weren't like, no. hey, I want to become the next Bill Gates. It was like, hey, I just want to become a police officer for Chicago police. Right. Um, I just want to, you know, become a, um, you know, I just want to become a video game programmer because I really like video games. It's just like these people, they wanted to better themselves. They wanted to, to pursue a career and to have these snake oil salesmen come in and say, hey, come to our institution. You know, we can give you your bachelor's degree in 24 months. Right. Um, you know, we don't, you don't even need to worry about the cost because you're student loans and Pell Grants and like you're just going to get a great job afterwards and it's going to be all just great. Right. Um, to, and they, they, they sign on the dotted line because you know, often they're first-generation college students. No one in their immediate family or close circle of friends have gone to college. Um, the word college, you know, it, it's like a very positive word. Education is a very positive word. So a lot of these people just have no idea what they're walking into. And, uh, you know, at the very end of it, though, like the, the key dynamic that I spoke with so many students about and why I think this is a big, this is the failure of our government, it's the, the fault lies at our government, it's like, so many students told me that because these schools were, I could take out a Pell Grant at this institution or I could take out a student loan at this institution, that just signaled to me that this school has to be legitimate because why would the federal government let me take out these student loans if this, this institution was bad or right. if they were they're predatory? Um, it, it's basically like the government was giving us good housekeeping seal of approval to these students. Right. They were enrolling, and then what they ultimately figure, figured out way too late was that these institutions either, you know, didn't have the accreditation that would lead them to a job, which in one of our students' cases, you know, he wanted to become a police officer for Chicago PD. Um, Chicago PD wouldn't even recognize his, his credential. No, no. Um, he had taken out $60,000 in student loans for a degree that literally was not going to lead him anywhere. And, right. and this happens over and over. And I think the thing that was most staggering to me in making this movie was just like realizing the true scope of it. Like, um, this wasn't like 10,000 students. This wasn't 50,000 students. This was, I, I don't even know what the true figure is. I, I, I hope some, you know, policy person does the research and finds it. 
but it's hundreds of thousands of Americans. Uh, it's probably in the millions. Yeah, I would if say. You, if you I go would, back a few decades. As you, as you think uh, about how long it's been around, of course it's in the millions. I, 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 don't, I would yeah. be shocked if it was, wasn't. It really would be. So, yes. I mean, just, yeah, just in, just in the institutions that in the past 20 years, like it, just off the top of my head, doing like off, you know, on the envelope math. <laughs> like, you know, University of Phoenix had half over half a million students yeah. at its peak in one given year. Right. And their churn and burn rate was just staggering. I mean, it was just like, I think the total from 2000, in 2008, 1.1 million new students enrolled in, a for profit, in the top 15 for-profit college institutions in the country. Yeah. Um, less than two years later, over 600,000 of them had withdrawn from the institution. Right. And most of them had taken on student loan debt. And I don't know if there's ever been research that like tracked what happened to those students, but I would bet like my, you know, good money on the fact that most of them probably defaulted. Um, it was just like uh, the Brookings Institute had this really crazy um, report that we cite in the film as one of our, our statistics, um, but they tracked students who left ITD tech um, in 2009 um, like they, they graduated um, and they tracked them for five years to see what happened. And they found that over half of the students, it was something like 90,000 people defaulted on their loans within five years. Jesus. Um, and default is one of the worst financial situations anyone can be in. And these, these people were defaulting. And, and odds are those 90,000 people, most of them were low income. They were already playing from behind. All right. And, now this is just one huge mountain on their chest that they they're odd they, they probably will never be able to dig out of i mean mm-hmm. like the, some of the students that we sh- we follow in our film they're still you know tens of thousands of dollars in day one of our main uh students lewis in the film um has stopped paying his student loans and we we actually had difficulty figuring out what his total student loan balance was so in the film we when we say what what he has we we just have like he has over fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt. We have no idea what the actual total figure is. We just we, we were able to piece enough evidence together to, to know that it was over fifty thousand. Um, it it it's phenomenally saddening to me that that this has happened. I, I think it's it, it's kind of it's generational robbing. It, it it's people who all they tried to do was better themselves. Um, they, they come from all corners of America. Um, yeah. And it's just a big scheme with a government seal of approval. Right. And if this wasn't all just horrible enough, and it is more than horrible enough, we're also talking about how these for-profit companies have been literally pillaging the government largesse, the government, your tax dollars, to funnel into their institutions where nobody's getting a, a diploma worth a damn and preying on people who are who have neither the resources nor a experience level to know when, what they're getting themselves into. Uh, they're taking your tax dollars and they're profiting enormously. And as we they doc, you document it in fail state, all, you know, they're the darlings of wall street. All of that's the other thing that's so infuriating about this. You know, they, they're beloved as this inst, as an institutional opportunity for people to put their money into, which further reinforce reinforces kind of the political clout that they have on Capitol Hill. All of it. It is a sick, sickening 
disgusting cycle of misery for people who think they're going to get an education. We've taken something that everyone in this society wants and wants to get the best, and we've and we've turned it. These people have turned it in to a con game, a three-car Monty operation, mm-hmm. and they're taking people. And even if you're not in a for-profit uh, institution. Your your money is going to them through your tax dollars. This is an outrage. If I was in politics any longer, what I would be doing is I would be rounding up the list of those people who are on the, these these uh, roles for owing money to for profits and organizing them into a, a political action group, because I think mm-hmm. that you could probably get them pretty energized. Because if you they're they're, they're there, it, it's. I think that we're in just commenting on your that last point there. Um, it, there are so many students who've been affected by this, uh, or just so many Americans. I'm not even going to say students. So many Americans have been impacted by this predatory industry. Yeah. Uh, when I started, you know, I don't come from a journalist journalistic background. Uh, Fail State is my first feature film, and so it's like a big undertaking in terms of like realizing just how to make a documentary. But I was like okay, how would I go about finding students? Um, and so I just turned to Facebook, I turned to Yelp, I turned to, you know, comment the comment sections of articles about for-profit college industry. Mm-hmm. And if you just look, they're there. It, it, it Within two weeks, I was able to amass over 100 students and, and get their testimony on background, at the very least. Um, right. it, it, there's so many out there. Um, it, it's a combination of... I, I found I found two types of student uh, two types of Americans in the story student uh, students in this where it's like there's the one student who realize what happened to them they become very vocal and they're trying to organize on on Facebook and, and other social media platforms um, and they're out there they, they they run these Facebook groups with like a few thousand members um, and then I would say the bulk though are students who internalize what's happened to them. Um, I one of the students that we 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 show in the film, um, my producer and I had the opportunity to go to his home uh, last fall and show him the film privately. And one, it was an incredibly special moment. It, it was like just to, to show him the film and to show how he was effectively just a, a, a blade of grass in a lawnmower. Mm-hmm. Um, but then his first immediate reaction after the film had ended was, "I'm glad I wasn't the only one." And I think that really paints what, what this picture is. It's like a lot of these students, when they realize that, hey, they've been defrauded or, or deceived, um, they internalize it. It's, it's embarrassing to them. They, they, they blame themselves for this. It's, you see a lot of the same similarities that you see with like sexual assault victims. Or, or cons, um, people they, who are conned. Yeah. The same yeah, dynamic, yeah, right? Exactly. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to admit they they got conned. And I mean, you're, I think more to the point of yeah. sexual assault. There's a there's a social shame and the the, the yeah social the, shame. And you see you see that play out in the higher education space where yeah. you know there's a lot of victim blaming. Where it's like I knew the school was bad. I knew this was like like a very lousy institution. Why did you fall for it? Are you stupid? Like right, it, it, right. this happens a lot. And so. Right. Um, my hope with fail state is that a lot of people watch it, a lot of students watch it, and they realize what happens to them. I think it's going to be um, really emotional for a lot of people who do end up watching this and who have gone through this when they realize just how well-oiled this 
for-profit predatory machine is. And, it was like, yeah, they had no chance. And very, very politically plugged in. We have a secretary yeah. of education at the federal level, at the cabinet level, who comes from this industry, who is who uh, who is part of the problem, and she's being asked, and she's done nothing. We're talking about De- Betty, Betty DeVos and how she has made this situation at least worse, if not untenable completely. But uh, so on, on top of everything else, what's happening to our, 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 our uh, community colleges and our other universities? So fail state, I guess like we've been talking predominantly about for-profit higher education, but fail states actually has two storylines that I, or at least I, I tell people that, and I hope that they, that's it's the takeaway from it. It's like basically the rise of the for-profit colleges is correlate, re-correlated and connected to the uh, decades after decade state disinvestment of our public higher education institutions. So like your local community colleges, your local state schools. Um, I know we're in California, so I'll use state-based um, names here, but like UCLA or Cal State Los Angeles or San Jose State or Foothill Community College or Santa Monica Community College, these public institutions that you know, were established to be open act, predominantly open access, incredibly affordable or, or free. Um, you know, Mike, we talked about this earlier, but it's like these institutions, um, you know, they, they're the pinnacle, they were the pinnacle of public higher education in the world. Yeah. I mean, UC Berkeley at one point had more Nobel Prize laureates than any other institution in the country. Um, you know, the, the physics nuclear department at UC Berkeley is just famous. Um, UCLA uh, to UC Irvine to UC Santa Barbara, all of these institutions, they, they were the crown jewel of the public higher education system. And in other states, they had very similar name brand institutions that just, you know, they were the creme de la creme. But what we've witnessed happen to all these public institutions um, and, and worse uh, down at the community college level, you know, the, 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 the true open access institution that anyone who wants to go to college can enroll in a community college. Um, all of the states have been, you know, piece by piece dismantling their support for these institutions. And that's why these institutions cost as much as they do today. It's why so many people are going into debt when, you know, historically that, that wasn't the case not too long ago. Um, and at the community college level, you know, I, I like to tell people that like community colleges are the most American instrument that that yeah. in in ed- the education space today, I am. Um, I think other countries are now beginning to emulate the American community college, but the American community college is basically the apple pie, the apple pie of of higher education. It's other countries go, what you provide that? Yeah, um, yeah. Th- these are institutions that just take in anyone, and and they're so like um, connected into their local economies, like. Mm-hmm. You know, a community college in Napa is going to have programs in viniculture. A community college in Houston is going to have programs in oil refining. Right. It's like these, these these schools reflect where they, they are geographically, um, and we're witnessing them close off. That, that, that We're witnessing them transform their missions. Um, I attended a community college here in California during the Great Recession, and it was so overflowing. It was hard to get classes. Um, the, the Great Recession was the first time in the history of the community college system where they started turning away students. There were so many students that wanted to go to community college that the, the schools just did not have the resources to take in students. 
and they were turning away. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, the best metaphor that I have is like the Statue of Liberty was turning away people right. that, that, that wanted shelter and wanted a better life. Um, and I, I think what we're witnessing in the, higher, the public higher education space is just like slow-moving train crash unfolding yeah. before our eyes. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, I, I, I try to like tell people like nothing is changing in the space that's going to that's going to change the trajectory of where public higher education is going in like 25 years time we're going to have a lot of states in this country um, not fund their public higher education institutions anymore they will cease becoming publicly supported right. they will be high tuition revenue driven they'll be high tuition um, they're effectively private at that point and and what's um, and what's disgusting about that is the political class will will go well we did what happened why did this happen when when this has been as I mean, fail state is is a bright shining light, as I described it at the top of our interview. But this is an issue that people who are paying attention know full well. The political class knows full well what's happening. But it's, you know, lobbing Peter to pay Paul right now with our educational system. I as I sit here today at the University of California, Irvine, I once had someone here who's in administration they're not high up, but they're high up enough to know what's going on, say to me that it costs the university money to have students. Sort of in a sort of a, you know, sardonic way talking about how this is, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but it was it was a shocking thing to hear. But I think it, it, it sort of speaks to a mindset where, Again, once again, our institutions have been so corrupted that they've lost sight of why they're there. What are the, What is it their mission, really? Their basic mission is to educate. The basic mission of our government is to govern. We've, we're losing sight of why they're there. And this is another example of that. And it is, it's, it's frightening. It really is frightening, and especially at a time without going into too much of a rant, when our resources need to be in other areas as well, areas that are, well, are we're talking about, you know, the survival of, of, the, of the species on some level that we have, to be, uh, we have to be vigilant about, and we're not spending resources, and that's probably too broad of a statement to make. But, it, but it, nonetheless, we, we need to be spending our money more wisely, and we need to be protecting the people in our society, who are going to these institutions, who are being tricked, who are being conned into something that is not what it says it is. Mm-hmm. Uh. It, it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that goes double for me, you know. No, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I, I truly, I, I, I do, it, it's, having made fail stay, it's definitely completely transformed just my perceptions of higher education, like my views of it, the solutions lie in Congress. It's it, this, yeah. anything that's going to happen needs to happen at the congressional level. Yeah. And I think why, it, you know, now that we're just a few weeks out from the midterm elections, um, you know, the most important reason why you should vote is like, it's not just in the, the short term reactionary problems um, and the, the fires that we're now witnessing in Washington, um, it's also like the long-term health of our country. It's like, you know, we need to be electing leaders that 
aren't just coming from like the top 1% of society that they go to Harvard and Yale and their perception of higher education is that all institutions are Harvard and Yale when they are such a like 0.01% of what actually higher education is like the vast majority of students go to community colleges it's over 50% of all American higher education students. It's, it's over 10 million go to a community college yeah. and it's that that's what higher education is. And that's where most of the resources should be pumped into yeah. Um, and so it's like we need to be electing leaders that like are rethinking how we're supporting higher education because what what's going to happen in higher education and I think we've already witnessed it unfold in healthcare is that like the wealthiest people are going to have the best you know they already have the best healthcare they're going to in higher education it's already happened to a, to a large extent but it's going to it's going to be even more pronounced in the next couple of decades is that the the wealthiest Americans regardless of how smart they are are going to be going to the most prestigious and well-funded institutions in this country, whereas everyone else is going to be relegated to underfunded public colleges, overflowing public colleges, or highly predatory proprietary for-profit college institutions. Right. And if if we needed one more detail in all of this uh, mess, and that is the... Our current administration is actively trying to restrict who can get into the highest levels of of, uh, of uh, our educational system mm-hmm. by virtue of their uh, challenging some of the uh, programs that allow people without the income level to get into these major universities based on the merit that they have exhibited in the uh, in their in their education leading up to that point, but don't have the resources. I guess, like, that one last, like, kind of mind-blowing stat, it doesn't show up here in the film, but, like, just something that, for the audience to think about, to, 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 go, to go on and think about. There are more low-income students at Cal State Long Beach than the entire Ivy League combined. Wow. Um, and that, the, the, the Ivy League has over, you know, t- I think it's, at this point it's over two hundred billion dollars in endowment. It might be one hundred fifty billion, but it, it, it's in it's in just an immense amount of money. Well, I know Harvard's um, is over a hundred billion by itself. I think yeah, I think maybe it's like fifty, okay. thirty eight, forty five. Okay. Yeah, it, okay. It's, but it's it's significant, and this is not because low income people are not as smart or they're not as deserving to go to to Harvard. It's just there's an active. You know, there's these institutions out there that are, there's no incentives for them to take in low-income students. Low-income, to, to riff off of that, that administrator, low-income students cost more money than, than wealthy students. It's like they, they need more resources devoted to them. Um, they need, like, more counseling. They, they, they need these, these programs to, to help them get across the finish line because they're playing so far behind. They, they start the game so many steps back. Yeah, yeah. But they are smart. Their test scores are higher than the wealthy students. Like, they deserve to be going to these institutions. It's just our federal financial aid system does not incentivize enrolling low-income students. It doesn't incentivize enrolling smarter students. It, it incentivizes just enrolling students for their money, and wealthier students can pay more. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's, I think when you guys think about this, this issue in more broad terms, it's like most pe- most Americans in this country today are being relegated to institutions that are being underfunded and under-resourced, and they're, they're having their funding support cut. Um, you know, if, if this happened at a similar scale in K-12, there would be riots. Um, but we accept this every single day in higher education at, in a status quo, and tuition keeps increasing every single year. 
Um, and there's nothing in, in, in Washington right now that's being put forward that's going to address, you know, the rise, the rise of college costs, um, worsening inequality in American higher education, and just now this, what we're witnessing, the resurgence of the for-profit college industry. It is, is that because the rationale becomes, well, you just need to get through high school. This sort of the, the social contract that we've signed with the government is uh, that will our children should be K through 12. And after that, basically, the the, uh, the feeling is you're on your own. If you want to go any higher than that, if you wanted a higher level of education, now it's it's not it's not a mandated responsibility of the state to see that you get to that next level. Don't we need to change that dy- dynamic? Don't we need in this in the world that we currently live in now, with all of the different changes in the in the job market and all of the things that are going on in the world around us, the highly technical world that we are becoming, shouldn't it be part of this contract moving forward that at least a couple of years of education, as as uh, Senator Sanders proposed in the le- in his, the last election cycle, shouldn't college be free if it's a state institution? I don't know. I'm not trying to drag you into an endorsement one way or the other, but is, is isn't this a question that we really need to be asking um, the, ourselves? Because uh, if that were the case, if in fact you knew you could go to at least two years and probably four years at a state in, uh, system that was that you had to pay for your books, let's say, but beyond that, everything else wouldn't wouldn't cost you. Wouldn't that take the the for profits out of the game? Okay, so the simplest. And that was a lot. I, that was a lot. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the simplest. I like to tell. So I'm, you know, I, the simplest answer is yes because, or but like I'm going to caveat that. Yeah. It, it's not just making higher education free because free to a poor quality or under resourced institution doesn't really help. You're right. It's like the, the community college systems in this country, they're already underfunded, they're under-resourced, they're understaffed. It's why community colleges have atrocious completion rates. Um, you know, I'm a community college alumni, so it's like, I'm like, I love championing them. But they also have very poor completion rates. It's because, you know, these, the, the, the predominant student body of these institutions, they come from low-income backgrounds. They need those resources that I was just alluding to yeah. to get to the finish line. And so I think my problem my problem with, like, just saying, hey, let's make it all free, it's not the, it's not the true silver bullet. It's, it needs to be free to a high-quality education. Yes, and absolutely. that's going to take, take a lot of willpower. Um, and I, I think to, to speak to the more broad stuff in terms of, like, the societal changes, the economic changes that I think almost all Americans feel today is that yes, like the work, the economy of our country today um, is demanding you to have some form of post-secondary education, whether it's a nine-month certificate, an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree. It's demanding us to, to have this. Um, just the data in terms of like, you know, the job numbers uh, or the jobs that have been created since the Great Recession. And this is not an exaggeration. Almost a hundred percent of the jobs that have been created, like the good, the good paying jobs, require some form of post secondary education training. Yeah. And so it's like our economy has changed, and I think a lot of Americans from all walks of life know that they need some form of higher education to have that slice of the American dream, to have a middle class life and that stability. 
Um, and I think, yeah, there needs to be a huge paradigm shift. There needs to be right. a rethinking in terms of like what our education system is and like who's getting through, who's getting access to the, the, the good quality stuff. And I, I think what we need to have happen is a lot of these solutions have to be done at the federal level. States are in a mad dash trying to figure out how to pay for health care and how to pay for K-12 and how to pay for uh, prison reform, uh, criminal justice. You know, prisons cost an insane amount, way too much, but it, does, it costs as much as it does, and they have to pay for it. And higher education is a discretionary budget item. It's the easiest thing for them to cut. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'd, I am not banking on states resolving this issue. Um, it's going to be the federal government, um, and I think... What I hope fail state does is it does it, it just prompts that shift in in, in society today and people rethink all their their conceptions of higher education and what it means for people um, and hopefully you know in in the ne- maybe in the short term maybe the next Congress starts doing some some good stuff but I think it's going to be a few years we need a new administration yeah we need um, a new Senate it, it, we need a lot yeah it, it and it can't this. This is not a liberal issue. In the film, we depict or yeah. we follow Governor Bill Haslam right. um, in Tennessee, a Republican governor in a very southern state, and his solution for the higher education crisis was to make community college free for all Tennesseans. Right. Um, at first, it was just for high school graduates, and now it's being expanded to everyone else. Right. And he was a Republican governor who who understood that, like, hey, higher education is one of the best workforce training um, programs that we have. And he he went out and, and he went to bat and he, and he hit a home run over there. All right. We we I first of all excellent caveat to my my uh, Im, immodest proposal about education funding. I think you're absolutely right. It has to be the right kind of funding. It has to be adequate. To, to your point. And the, the second thing is we have got to stop elected Republican or Democrat, whoever it is, whatever political party they're affiliated with. We have to stop putting in office people who do not believe in governing, who are there to undermine the institutions that they've been put in charge of. That has been a huge shift going back to what I believe beginning in the Reagan administration and moving forward. The fact that government has been is being undermined at its core level by the people in charge of administering government is a huge problem, and it's getting worse, and this administration is by a long ways the worst, that well, maybe the best example of what I'm talking about in terms of their uh, undermining the very institutions that they've been put in charge of. Alexander Cheveneau, this has been an outstanding conversation. I really appreciate all of the time that you've been able to devote to, uh, to this. The film is called Failed State. I'm sorry, Fail State, and your executive producer. We didn't even mention Dan but, Rather. Yeah, My right, God, like, it's funny that you're you're, you're uh, saying failed state or fail safe because the, the title is also playing off of all of that. Yeah. It's all in one. It's yeah. you know, it, a failed state is a country that can't provide basic human necessities right. uh, for its citizenry. And education, I would I would qualify that as one of those basic necessities. Yes. And it fail safe higher education is a fail safe. It's um, yeah. the 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 people who are able to withstand the recession were people who had a higher education. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I'm glad that you, it's 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 not an issue if if you're yeah. uh, stumbling on it because I, it's an intentional. And again, the film is fail state, and you can 
go to failstatemovie.com to find out more about it. You also have a Facebook page at failstatemovie and then also a Twitter account, failstatemovie, and then anybody looking for hashtags to spread the word Fail State Movie, Subprime Goes to College, and Defend Students are all hashtags regarding this film. Well, Alexander Chabonneau, thank you so very, very much for the film. Uh, people can find out more about the film, as I said, at failstatemovie.com. They can go to the filmschoolradio.com site to uh, to check out the resources that I'm describing. And um, all the best to you as you go to... Uh, Go into theaters and, and other opportunities for uh, for the for the film. Are you looking at platforms? Have you got? Uh, have Thank you, you. Yeah. Uh, so the film is going to be out uh, this November, releasing on iTunes, Amazon, YouTube, all of that for rentals and purchase. And then our broadcast and stream date on the uh, channel Stars is December seventeenth. Oh, fantastic! We're going to be pushing this film as far and wide in communities especially in communities most targeted by the for-profit college industry. Right. Um, and so we're, we're, gonna, we're working to make a lot of noise, especially be a foreign at a, the current administration side. Well, and also... Demand, demand that they do stuff. And I'd love to see you on... I know that Rachel loves Dan Rather. I'd love to see you on Rachel Maddow, uh, the two of you talking about this, and maybe Bill Maher. I mean, I, I'm sure I, this is the kind of thing that it just... It, it's it's hiding in plain sight. This is an issue that is it, it, there are consequences, significant consequences to not addressing this issue. The the more attention that we can get on this issue, the better. So I'm, we're working with our our marketing team, and we're going to try to get this thing as far and wide as possible. Well, all the best to you, Alexander Chavano. Thank you so much for being here on Film School. Thank you so much, Mike, and uh, great show, and, and uh, love your work. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.